beginning at verse 12 tonight. By the way, some of you are going to notice that it looks a little different in here tonight. That's because usually this bank of lights is off so that you can see the words better on the screen. And this bank of lights is on, but this bank of lights is broke. So that's why we decided to put this bank of lights on. The problem with that is, is that there'll probably be a glare off of my bald head. So some of you be careful with that. (laughs) I heard that. No. Hey, the words of the songs that we just sang tonight, just so powerful. And the truth that we sang, just so powerful. Because it really, again, just goes hand in hand with where we're going to be at tonight. Because last week as we started this study, in 2 Corinthians, one of the keys that Paul wanted to lay out in the early chapters of 2 Corinthians was that God always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ. Even when we're going through pain and suffering and trial and tribulation and challenge and obstacle and all of that. We talked about that last week in the first 11 verses. That God has a significance and a purpose for all of it. And we can triumph through it with Jesus Christ. Tonight, Paul's going to put a little bit different emphasis, but, but in a sense, the same theme. That we can triumph. And we can be confident even when most people maybe have lost their confidence. And I want to just just take a few minutes and sort of paint the backdrop of why Paul is saying what he's saying tonight to the Corinthians. Paul and a group of others had started this church. And then God called them away from Corinth to another ministry. And it was while, while Paul was gone that Satan began to sow false prophets and false teachers into the church at Corinth. And they didn't like Paul very much. They didn't like him. They certainly didn't like his message of Jesus Christ and salvation by Christ alone. And so they were doing everything they could to to undermine Paul and undermine Paul's ministry with the Corinthians. Therefore... They began to assassinate his character. They began to gossip about him. They began to slander him. They began to say, you know, they they would look at Paul and everything that Paul said, and they would begin to pick everything that Paul said and did apart. And then they would go to the Corinthians and say, see, you you can't trust anything that guy says. And so this this was the atmosphere, if you will, around Corinth with the Apostle Paul. You and I all know that there are times in our life, if people begin to question us, if they begin to criticize us in any way, if they begin to challenge us, one of the first things we will begin to lose is our confidence. We begin to start doubting. We begin to start even thinking to ourselves, am I doing things right? You know, maybe, maybe they're right. It, it, am, am I okay here? And, and there just begins to be a flood of doubt. How can you and I live confidently at all times? Or what are the building blocks of living a confident life? That's what Paul shares with the Corinthians tonight, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 12. And you see this coming through, even though, again, remember, Paul is having his character question. Paul is having his motives question. Paul is being criticized, 
Paul is being challenged, and yet Paul is extremely confident. Not cocky, but confident. And we see in this passage why Paul could be so confident. Notice, first of all, in verse 12, he says, For our reason for confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. Wow. Paul says, guess what? One of the things that I've learned through God to pay attention to in my life, and it gives me confidence, it gives me commendation, gives me affirmation, no matter what other people are saying, is my own conscience. Now certainly the Bible teaches that we can sear our conscience, and that we can, we can ignore our conscience, and over time then our conscience really doesn't help us. But for someone like Paul, who listens to his conscience, who's sensitive to his own conscience that God gives to every human being to sort of monitor their behavior, this is one of the things that gave Paul confidence was listening to his own conscience. When others were critical of him, when others were challenging him, he just went, well, my conscience is telling me I'm okay. I can lay my head on a pillow at night and I know that me and God are okay and that there's nothing that's, that, that my conscience is bothering me about and I have a pretty sensitive conscience because I do try to pay attention to it all the time. And so very first, Paul says, listen to your conscience. It's one of the building blocks of living a confident life. And then he goes on to say that with pure motives and sincerity which are from God. These are two great words. And basically, in these two words, Paul's saying, here's another building block of confidence. Living a transparent life. Paul is using here a term in the Greek language that the Greeks used to hold something up to the sunlight in order to be able to see it. For instance, they would do that with, with coins or with metals or even pottery. Especially pottery that was being sold. In, in, in Paul's day, in order not to get ripped off by, you know, some cheap pottery, in the marketplace, they would hold the pottery up to the light so that maybe if it had some kind of defects or cracks, they could see it. Paul's saying, that's the way I live my life before God. I was able to hold my life up to the sunlight. I was able to hold my motives up to the sunlight and see them for what they really are. And all I can tell you is, you know, what you see is what you get. I'm, I'm not coming and doing any baiting and switching. You know that. I have, I have been right out there and very straightforward with you. And so that's one of the other building blocks of confidence in Paul's life. And then he goes on to say, I served, I ministered, I lived my life, I conducted myself not by human wisdom, but by the grace of God. The words human wisdom here talk about earthly skills and management techniques. In other words, Paul's saying, as I ministered for the Lord, it wasn't out of my own wit or wisdom. It wasn't out of my own, you know, skill. It wasn't out of my own, you know, human ability. It was based upon the grace of God. I did what I did depending on God's supernatural influence and enablement in my life. That's what God's grace is. And that, can I just say, that is so needed today, especially in church, in ministry today, that many Christians get caught up in, in doing what they do because of the skill that they have, and yet they're not really depending on the Lord to do it. In a sense, they're doing it by themselves. The Lord's not doing anything. 
They're doing ministry for the Lord, but they're not allowing the Lord to basically empower them and, and move in their life and let God work through them. They're doing it all. And, and you know, God could be completely absent from the equation. So Paul is saying the grace of God is another thing that gives me confidence as I move through life. He says, it was by the grace of God that we conducted ourselves in the world and all the more toward you. Now, one of the things that they accused him of, again, not the Corinthians, at least initially, was these people who had infiltrated the church that were trying to turn the church and the people of Corinth against Paul. One of the things that they accused Paul of was, Paul's, Paul's pretty obscure, he, he's not right out there. He's not straightforward. You know, he doesn't really come right out and, and say what he means or means what he says or even writes it that way. You sort of have to read between the lines with Paul. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. We do not write you anything other than what you can read and also understand. Paul says, I, I've, I've been very upfront with you. Everything that I've written, it's out there for everybody to see. I'm, I'm not holding anything back. I'm not, I'm not being secretive at all about any of this. And, and can I say this at this point too? You, you begin to see how Paul navigates a season in his life where he's being challenged, criticized, his character's being assassinated, everything that he does is being called into question. Sometimes God may want us to just hold our tongue. And not respond. Because as one of my spiritual mentors told me one time, you don't need to defend yourself when people start to attack you because your friends don't need you to and your enemies aren't going to believe you no matter what you say anyway. But there is a time where just like Paul, we need to step up and defend ourselves. But not for ourselves. You will see here that the reason why Paul writes this to, to the Corinthians was because Paul knew that if somehow these people could diminish Paul in their minds, that that also meant that his ministry, the message of Jesus Christ that he wanted to continue to give to them would also be diminished. And so for the ministry's sake, for Christ's sake, he wanted to say, hey, I need, to, I need to speak to this. I can't just let this attack go. I've got to say something about this, not because I'm trying to make myself look good in front of you, but because you need to know that God still wants me to be used in your life, and therefore I need you to have a change of heart about how you view me. Because God still wants me to be a part of your life. He wants us to be a part of each other's lives. And so you need to stop listening to those liars and you need to start paying attention to God. One of the things that we also learn from this passage is Paul was never people-driven. He was always God-driven. He didn't do things in ministry or in his life based upon what this person wanted, what that group wanted, or whatever. He did what he did based upon the direction of God. And that's what gave him confidence. So notice Paul says, I hope, verse 13, that you will understand completely at the end of verse 13. In other words, he even understands. They don't understand me. They don't understand what I'm trying to do here. They don't get it. 
You ever been misunderstood? You ever had someone in your life that just didn't get you at that moment? And it didn't matter how you tried to explain it. They just didn't get you. That's where Paul's coming from. And yet, again, notice, Paul never lacked confidence in that season of life. He wasn't questioning himself. He was very confident. He starts this passage. Our reason for confidence is this. And the whole passage is basically talking to us about how Paul could live so confidently and be triumphing even in a season of life where he was being challenged, questioned, character assassinated, all of that. Notice he goes on to say in verse 14, just also as you have partly understood us, sometimes that's the way it is too. People don't, They don't understand us fully, but they get a little bit of us. Paul's hoping that someday they will get all of him and really understand where he was coming from. But, you know, that's not something we can make happen in somebody else's life. They have to be led by God and and see the value of each of us in their lives, and we have to see the value of others in our lives as well. Because notice what Paul, how he ends this part of this passage. He said in verse 14 something very important. That hopefully one day you will realize that we are your source of pride just as also, just as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's an unbelievable statement. Paul's basically saying, when I get to heaven, when God evaluates my life and hands out you know, reward and commendation for how we all lived, He's telling the Corinthians, don't you realize that when we stand before the Lord, that you and, and you're standing before God and that you, what you accomplished, that's a source of pride for me because I know God used me in your life. And vice versa, he says, and God used you in my life. And the reason I'm partly where I'm at is because of you. God uses people. And that's why we've got to learn instead of walking away from relationships. We've got to learn to work through them. And we've got to learn to live confidently, even when others are challenging us. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. So notice then in verse 15, he says, With this confidence, I intended to come to you first. Now that's a a key word. Because one of the other things that they questioned Paul about was, Paul, you vacillate. You're fickle. You told us, you told us you were going to come and visit us. And then you backed out. And when that happened, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want to give you the background. When Paul backed out of that visit to the Corinthians, guess what happened? The enemies of Paul start infiltrating the people at Corinth and saying, see, you can't trust a thing Paul says. Because he promised you that he was coming. And now he's not coming. So you can't trust. And Paul, again, because he didn't want them to not trust the message of Jesus Christ that he had given them, Paul is taking time to defend himself. And, and what Paul's going to say is, I never guaranteed that I was coming. I told you that I desired to come. I, I intend to come, but I had to let the final say up to God. It had to be, is God going to make this happen? I can tell you I want to come, but maybe it didn't work out. And maybe that's happened to you in your life. You never guaranteed something to someone, but you said, hey, this is my intention. And then you may, because of circumstances changing or something changing, maybe you had to back out. And they began to question you and say, well, I I can't trust you anymore. But did you guarantee it? And I will say this. 
If you and I do promise something, if you and I as a Christian guarantee we're going to do something, then we better do it. Because then the character of Christ is, that the testimony of Christ is, is on the line. Because God expects those of us, those who follow him, to be true to our word. But there's also instances in our life where things change. And maybe we didn't guarantee it. Maybe we didn't promise it. Maybe we just told somebody, this is what I'd like to do. I'm hoping it'll happen. And then we had to change it. That's where Paul's coming from here. He says, I intended to come to you first so that you would get a second opportunity to see us. And through your help to go on into Macedonia and then from Macedonia, verse 16, to come back to you and be helped on our way into Judea by you. Therefore, he says, when I was notice another key word, verse 17, when I was planning to do this, I did not do so without thinking about what I was doing. Really cool word. The word think there means without the help or agency of God. In other words, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, When I was making my plans and sharing my plans with you, it wasn't without God's help. It wasn't without prayer. It wasn't without consulting God. So don't think that I'm just being willy-nilly and and that I'm just sort of living fast and loose. Paul said, no way. I take what I say to people seriously. Then he goes on to say, or do I make my plans according to mere human standards? Those words talk about standards of earth, again, apart from divine influence. Paul's basically saying, I I prayed about it. I sought God's will. So that, he says, verse 17, I would not, so that I would be saying, excuse me, I'm not saying this right. Or do I make my plans according to mere human standards so that I would be saying both yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? In other words, he's saying apart from divine influence, apart from God's clear direction, there may be times in a person's life where it does look like, well, they say yes over here, but then they say no over here, and and you can't really trust them, and they're not really reliable, and, and there's just not a lot of clarity there. But notice what Paul says in verse 18. But as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. See, again... The whole reason why Paul took the time to sort of defend himself against the attacks of others was not because, you know, he was trying to make himself look good. It was because Paul knew that behind their attacks of him, in a sense, it was also attacking the message of Jesus Christ that came through Paul to the Corinthians. And he did not want anything that God had done through them to somehow be lost, to not have the weight or value in their lives that it should have had. Now, Paul, notice also in verse 18, gives us a huge building block to live a confident life. And I don't want to pass over it. I want to go back to it. When Paul says, God is faithful. Folks, that is a building block to living a confident life. The word faithful means trustworthy, reliable, dependable. And therefore, anything that God says is trustworthy, reliable, dependable. That's why Paul went on to say, our message, which was God's message to you, is not yes and no. No way. We never vacillated. 
Everything we told you, we were consistent in. We never said one thing one day and then came to you the next day and got together a Bible study and said something different that contradicted what we had said the day before. That was never true, Paul said. You could trust what we said because it was being inspired by God. Folks, every day that we live as Christians, we can live confidently because we know that our God is faithful. We can depend on Him. We can trust Him every day, every minute of the day. There's not a moment that we exist that somehow God is not going to be faithful. That's never going to happen. And so we should be able to live confident lives because of God's faithfulness. Notice he goes on in verse 19 to say, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who was proclaimed among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no. It was always yes in Jesus. The word yes here means true and sure. In other words, everything we said to you about Jesus is true and sure. Don't doubt it, Corinthians. Don't let these false apostles, these false teachers who literally want to undermine the work of God and somehow trash me so that the work that God wants to do through me to you somehow is diminished. Folks, we need to be careful of that as well. We need to make sure that the human instruments that God wants to use in our lives, we allow God to use and we don't let the talk of others somehow diminish what God wants to do in that person's life in our life. That's what was happening here. It happens in Christian circles all the time. It happens in churches all the time. God wants to use somebody in someone's life and other people come along who somehow got sideways with that pastor or that minister or that worship leader or whoever And they begin to talk negatively about them. And what then begins to happen is the people that that God wants to use that person in their life, He can't use them anymore because they've listened to these other people. And they've pulled away from those people that God wants to use. That's exactly what's happening here. Paul again wants us to know everything we said about Jesus is true and sure. You can bank on it. So, verse 20. Here's the verse I shared with you before we started worship tonight. For every one of God's promises are yes in Him. Again, the word yes means true or sure. If you don't take anything else away from tonight's passage, memorize that short, it's not even a verse, memorize that portion of a verse or write it down. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it on a mirror. Take it to work with you on an index card. Type it into your phone. I don't. Just continue to remember this. Every one of God's promises are sure. When you and I want to build blocks in our life to build a confident, stable, sure life, one of the things that we need to do is remember that everything God promised is sure and true. And we need to remind ourselves of those promises. We need to cling to those promises. We need to go into the Word of God and say, God, here's, here's your promise. And and I need to remind myself of these. Even tonight, before you go to bed tonight, take some time to think about what are some of the promises from God's Word 
that you need to remind yourself of to encourage you and give you back your confidence. Because it is sort of out of sight, out of mind. If I don't keep the promises of God in the forefront of my mind and I don't keep, I don't keep looking at them, I don't keep reminding myself and remembering those promises, then eventually my life begins to get skewed and eventually my life looks totally different because I'm not living every day based upon the foundation of believing in God's promises. I don't even remember God's promises, much less believe in them. Our lives every day will be determined by whether we believe and are living and remembering the promises of God. Then, Paul goes on to say, Every one of God's promises are yes in Him. Therefore, also through Him, the Amen is spoken to the glory we give to God. In other words, Paul's saying, we taught you the truth, we shared with you the promises, and after we shared them, you said, Amen! In other words, you said, that's right, that's firm, that's faithful, we can count on it. See, Paul got Amens when he spoke. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take His promises and be able to say amen to them. He he wants us to be able to say, that's true. That's firm. That's faithful. I can count on it. I can rely on it. I can depend upon the promises that God has given. Then in the last couple verses we're going to look at tonight, verses 21 and 22, this is where I really wanted to to spend some time. Paul gives four things here in these two verses that really are the ministry of God Himself. And and the whole Trinity is involved here. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And three of these things God has done in our past, if we're a Christian. And the other one then is a present activity that is based upon the three past actions. The three past actions that Paul uses here in the past tense are that God has anointed us, He has sealed us, and He's given us the Spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Those are the three past actions, and we're going to talk more about those. The present action is, verse 21, God is establishing us. But here's what I don't want you to miss. Again, we're talking about how can I be confident when I'm being attacked, when I'm being challenged, when I'm being questioned. Paul, beginning in verse 12 tonight of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, is showing us how I can have more confidence in my life, how I can live a confident life. God wants His people to live confidently. But in order to do that, we've got to begin to build our lives on the same building blocks that lead to confidence that Paul shared here. And one of the important things that Paul says about living a confident life is found in verse 21. When he says, but it is God who establishes us together with you in Christ. Wow, so much there. Let's first go back to the fact of what it means to be established. It means to make firm, to make sure, to make stable. So in other words, Paul is saying, God wants to make you a confident, stable Christian. But notice how God does it. Did you notice that in verse 21? How does God make Christians stable? In isolation, apart from their brothers and sisters in Christ? 
No, 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 no. See, this is why a lot of Christians aren't living stable, confident lives. Because they're not buying in to what the New Testament teaches. Or they don't know what God teaches in the New Testament. That in order to live a more stable, confident life, I have got to be willing to connect myself with a group of brothers and sisters in Christ and begin to allow God to use their lives as He uses my life in their life and establish us together. You can't be established by God apart from each other. Spiritual growth doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens when God's people come together and literally allow God to knit their hearts together to each other. This is what's so encouraging about what's happening here at this church. Is there finally a group of people who want to be part of a church family? who are tired of just sitting on the fringe and not knowing anybody at church and not really being connected to people on a deeper level. They understand this is how God wants His church to be. He wants us to be connected to each other because He wants us to, He wants to use each of us in each other's lives to establish us. And that's why Paul was defending himself, because Paul is saying, God wants to use me in your life to continue to make you more firm, stable, and secure. And if you're going to turn your back on me, if you're going to listen to these lies about me, and not allow God to use me in your life anymore, then you're going to miss out on what God wants my life to be in your life. That's why Christians who even say, well, we don't need to be part of a local church. I can worship God by myself. I I don't need to get involved and really get connected to a group of Christians. Just doesn't understand the clear message of Scripture. God's choice of how to establish us as Christians, how to make us more stable, how to make us more confident is to do it corporately. Not to do it out there where he does it in my life, in isolation of your life. Again, let me read this. I want you to get this just like God's driven it home in my heart. It is God who establishes us together with you. That's how God does it. That's how God does it. In Christ, (laughs) yes, but together with you. See, the design of God is that as we come together as Christians, God uses our gifts, our talents, our abilities, the way he made us to come together in a body, in a church family, and be able to rub against each other and and have our hearts knit so that he can use your life and mine and my life and yours so that we both become more stable If Christians can't get along with each other and learn to work through their relationships and walk away from each other rather than working through things, they're never going to be stable. They're never going to have any confidence in their life. Because they're going to go from this church to that church to this church to that church to this group of Christians to that group of Christians to that. And maybe they even get to the point where they just wash their hands of church altogether and just go out on some hillside in the superstitions and just worship God by themselves. But Paul says, the way God establishes us is to do it together. Then, Paul says that is based on these three things that God has already done in a Christian's life. 
The other thing that should give us confidence is that every Christian has been anointed by God. The word anointed there in verse 21 means to enable, equip, and empower supernaturally. That's what anointing is. Do you realize that everything God asks of you, everything He calls you to, everything that He ever would want you to do to serve Him, to live for Him, He will absolutely anoint you to do it. He will equip you. He will empower you. He will enable you. God just says, I just, all I want is your availability. It's not my ability, it's our availability that matters to, to God. When people, all through the Bible, people, God said, hey, Moses, I want you to do this. Moses, I, I don't got what it takes to do that. God said, well, it's not about you, Moses. Just let me do it through you. I mean, how many Bible characters did God go through and say, hey, I've got a, I, I want you to do this. This is my will for you. This is my plan for you. This is how I want you to serve me. And they would question it because they were looking at themselves. This goes back to what Nicole shared. This is why a life of worship is so important because a life of worship with God gets our eyes off of us and gets them on God and keeps him where he should be at all times, which is up here, which means if God then comes into our life and moves into our life and asks us to do something, we go, okay, God, I know I can't do that, but I know you got it. And if you're asking me to do it, then I know that you will anoint me to do it. You will empower me to do it. You will equip me to do it. You will enable me to do this. So I can be confident, not in myself, but in you. That's what it means to be anointed. And then he says, God also sealed us with the Holy Spirit. This is a great word. They would seal things in Paul's day, obviously for security reasons. It was a security thing. If something was sealed, say an envelope, a letter was sealed, that was a mark of security. Obviously, if that seal was broken, everyone would know it. And so one of the things that God is saying by sealing us is, you're mine. You are mine. I have sealed you. I have marked you. You are my child. And nothing's going to happen to you because it's got to come through me. What confidence does that give you? Do you realize as a Christian that nothing can get to you without passing through God's hands first? If you're, if you're a child of God, then you are in God's hands and nothing can get to you until it first passes through God. Even in the book of Job teaches us that even Satan had to ask permission from God before he could do anything to Job. That's the message of the Bible. To seal something, though, also meant to authenticate or confirm it. And that's what God will do. If, if God is calling you to something, asking you to something, wants you to do something just like Paul's life, then he will confirm it. He will authenticate it. Other believers will be able to see, yep, God's hands on them. God's using them. And therefore, I need to, I need to be willing to let God use them in my life, too. Something else. A seal impresses its likeness upon everything it touches. When something gets sealed, that seal, especially in Paul's day, it was a hot wax. 
and some kind of ring or something was placed in that hot wax, that impression was made. Goes back to what I said Sunday about being pickled for Jesus. If you want to know about that, listen to Sunday's message. So we are sealed. And then Paul also said, God gave us the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Again, I talked about how God lives within us. God himself lives inside of a Christian. And he gave us his spirit as a down payment. We could use the word pledge. We could use the word security deposit. We could use the words first installment. Now, please don't misunderstand what Paul's not saying. Or what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that, that when you and I get saved, we only got part of the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. When you and I get saved, we get all the Holy Spirit. What he's talking about here is though that the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life is an assurance to me that everything that God has promised will happen in the future is going to happen. That's what it means that the Holy Spirit is a down payment. In other words, if God gave me his Holy Spirit as that security deposit, then everything God's promised me an eternity in heaven, all the wonders, all the blessings that, that, his, that a future of a child of God holds, I know is true because the Holy Spirit lives within me. And if he's given me his Holy Spirit, then he's going to be good to give me everything else he promised as well. It was maybe a, not a great story, but I heard this story one day of these these two girls that were talking and the one girl told the other girl, she said, I got 10 pennies. And the other girl said, well, all I see are five pennies in your hand. She said, yeah, but my dad promised me another five. In other words, to that girl, she had 10 pennies because her father promised her that and she knew she could trust her father. Folks, that's what God is with us. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's who He is. Everything God has promised us that's going to come, it's as sure as if it's already happened. Because we have the Holy Spirit as that pledge, as that security, that everything God's promised us will come true one day. And we know it because Paul even said to the Romans, God's Spirit witnesses with our spirit. We know that that's the truth. This is how Paul faced his challenge. This is how Paul faced his accusers. This is how Paul faced those who were trying to diminish his ministry in the eyes of the Corinthian church. Again, not because Paul wanted to be elevated, but because Paul did not want the message of Christ and the ministry that God did through his life to be diminished in the Corinthians' lives. Because Paul knew that God still wanted to use him to continue to establish them and make them more firm and more sure and more stable. And he wanted them to stop listening to the false teachers and start listening to God. And remember, later on... Paul had some real straightforward words about these false teachers. Remember what he said in chapter 11? He said, you know, Satan is a, can appear as an angel of light. 
And he says, "Mm, even Satan's ministers can appear as ministers of righteousness. But he told the Corinthians, be careful. Because though they may look good on the outside, they're trouble on the inside. Because they're trying to undermine the work of God through people like me. Folks, if you take nothing else again from this passage tonight, continue to go back to 2 Corinthians 2.14 about God wants us to triumph in Christ, no matter what suffering, pain, trial, tribulation. And God wants us to live a confident life. Yes, we're going to be challenged. Our motives at times are going to be questioned by people. Our, Our character is going to be assassinated. We're going to be gossiped about at times and slandered and we're going to be misunderstood and and people are going to say we said this when we didn't say this. Just like Paul. But Paul was able to go through it and to continue to have the confidence that came only from God because he allowed God to build that confidence into his life through his spiritual growth that was taking place through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God. And God wants to do that same thing in your life, in everyone's life, who knows Jesus as their Savior. He wants to make you more confident. And so if you're in need of being a little bit more confident in your life, I would encourage you these next couple of weeks to continue to go back and just read and meditate on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 22. Next week, we'll pick it up in chapter 1, verse 23, and head into chapter 2. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you that, Lord, you're not just a God who saves us and forgives us and, and sets us on our way to heaven. But God, you are a God that even right now on this earth, knowing the challenges we're going to face, knowing the criticism that we're going to face, knowing the questions that we're going to face at times in life. You desire that we build up such a confidence that, Lord, that we can get through it, that we can triumph through it, and that we won't allow others to get us so discouraged and so full of self-doubt that you can't use us anymore, that we back away from ministry because people are questioning Paul said, no, that's just going to be part of ministry. Satan's going to be very active to try to discourage and bring doubt into ministers' lives. And I just, I pretty much know the people in this room well enough to know that almost everyone that I know here, I know they want to serve you, God. I know they want to be used of you. I know they want their life to count for you. And if that be the case, that means that they're going to put themselves out there at times. And that's also going to mean that we make ourselves vulnerable. That we allow ourselves to be open to the criticism and the questions of others. But God, help us not to be driven by people and programs, but help us to be driven by you. Help us to follow you and and allow that kind of a life to build such confidence into our life that even when others question us, Lord, we know down deep that we're simply doing what you've called us to do and that we're doing it with your anointing. We're doing it with your power 
and your strength. God, go with us today. Go with us this week. Use these folks in greater and greater ways and help them be more and more confident as they talk to others about you. As they allow you to use their lives to make a greater impact on others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Have a great